Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our uh, midweek service and our last study on the abomination of desolation. Um, We've been studying that text in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And we've seen in that, uh, in that text that we should read the book of Daniel and we should consider this phrase, abomination of desolation. And the reason we were so interested is because as we've been studying Matthew chapter 24, we've seen all of the things in that chapter that the Lord said would happen before he comes. We've been reminded of many of those things over the last several months. And they've been put in our mind in a new, fresh way. And it's almost as if they have been happening almost sequentially. (laughs) Because we have a pestilence, and then we have you know, ethnos against ethnos, that is the riots and the, and the racial tension. And then we have uh, not only that, we have, um, you know, people that are, men's hearts are failing them for fear. And we have uh, false prophets. We talked about that, false prophecies. We talked about lawlessness that would abound. And then uh, in in that same setting, this gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all the world as a witness. And then the end would come. And then came that text, uh, the abomination of desolation. And so we've looked at that and we've seen several elements as we've looked at the four different texts in the book of Daniel. We've looked at three of the four texts. And those three texts had these elements. A union of church and state that caused corruption, an increasing list of abominations, a crowning abomination that was related to Sabbath desecration, and then a a following resulting desolation. And then we always ended with a picture of hope. So we saw that in Daniel's day. Remember in Daniel's day, they said we don't want to have, well, before Daniel ever came on the scene, they said we don't want to have a prophet, we want to have a king. The kings became very corrupt. And then uh, in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we saw all these lists of abominations that then ended with a de- uh, an abomination concerning the Sabbath. And then there was a desolation. They were taken captive to Babylon. Remember that? But was there any hope? Yes. A remnant was identified, Daniel and his friends. And they lived faithfully in Babylon for that 70-year period, right? And then the hope was they'd be called out of it. Then the second time we looked at the abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel, we saw in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, that there would be abominations and desolations that came relating to the Messiah. And so when the Messiah came, um, there was a church-state union that came against him, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Herodians. And they came together. And then there was, uh, you know, an increasing list of abominations that is summarized in Matthew chapter 23. But the crowning abomination of Sabbath desecration was seen in how they related to Jesus when he did his what? Seven Sabbath miracles. And so we looked at those seven Sabbath miracles and how they became increasingly upset with him. And then they decided they would kill him 
over the issue of the Sabbath. <laughs> but when he died, was there any picture of hope? Yes. His believers, the disciples, rested according to the commandment on the Sabbath, right after he died. And this faithful remnant that would keep the Sabbath after he was gone, they spread the gospel to the whole world in one generation, Colossians 1.23, and Acts chapter 17.11, they turned the world upside down. So uh, that was the second one. Then the third one we looked at was looking at Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, which again pictured there would be a desolation that was set up. It was connected to a time prophecy in Daniel 8.14, taking us all the way down to the time of the end, 1798-1844 time period. And sure enough, there was an abomination of desolation that was set up in 508 to 538 that led, led to um, multiple abominations. And then the abomination of Sabbath desecration, both at the setup, we looked at those tribes, the Ostrogoths, the Vandals, the Hurrieli, and they were all Aryan and Sabbatarian. And they were eradicated by the church at the beginning of that time period and at the end of the time period in the French Revolution as a reaction to the corruption of the papacy. Then uh, France did away with the Sabbath and everything else and uh, had a 10-day week instead of a 7-day week. But was there any hope? Yes, God would have a remnant people who arose at the end of the 1290 and the 1335 that would discover the Sabbath again and would share the remnant message. How many remember this? So in every single pattern, we had a union of church state, an increasing list of abominations, a crowning abomination of Sabbath desecration, and then the following desolation, and then a picture of hope. So we're going to look at that again now, but it's a little more complicated and I'm going to apologize going right into this because this is a little more in-depth than anything we've covered so far. So let's pray again and ask the Lord to bless us. Father in heaven, Lord, bless us as we study tonight the Antichrist and the final American and then global desecration or desolation. And bless us that we might be able to understand, help me to say things clearly and help us to be able to concentrate after a long day of work, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 11, verse 29 and 30, is where we find um, our text. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. So um, these are the two verses before, well, there's the next two texts are going to talk about the abomination of desolation. But we're picking up now uh, this discussion in the midst of perhaps one of the most complicated renditions of prophecy in Daniel in Daniel. Daniel 2 has an outline of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, and then the second coming. Daniel 7, the same thing, but the little horn is pictured 
going up to the time of judgment. Daniel 8 and 9 has more details pointing to the Messiah and also the time of judgment. And Daniel 10 through 12 have an even more in-depth prophecy that's going to deal with the abomination of desolation. So rather than go through the entire chapter of the book of Daniel, we're starting right in the middle, okay? And we're picking it up here in Daniel eleven twenty nine. And Daniel eleven twenty nine, which we just read, describes the end of the Western Roman Empire in 476 A.D. when it fell to the barbarian tribes, pictured as uh, Chittim or Cyprus, um, and divided it into ten point parts. The ships of Chittim or Cyprus refer to the pirating Vandals, who were the first to sack Rome. They had previously settled in North Africa when the Phoenicians had established Carthage. Rome's mighty antagonist during the Punic Wars. And here the Vandals came. And when they came, they were going to destroy the city, but uh, Pope, the Pope came out and reasoned with them. And they said, okay, we won't destroy it. We'll just vandalize it. Where we get the word vandalism. And so they came in and they robbed everything. But it was obvious that Rome had basically... Fallen. The Western Roman Empire was not powerful if that's what happened. And so this is the end of the Western Roman Empire. And then there was this guy, Justinian the Great, who said, let's make the Roman Empire great again. And he came along. I don't know if he had hats like that. I just put that on it. However, <laughs> Rome would be indignant. They would return and crush the Vandals as well as the Ostrogoths. And uh, in doing this, Justinian showed favor toward those who had forsaken or apostatized. In other words, they adopted paganism, and paganism began to come into the church. Um, And the Pope was established as the head of the churches, and the 1260 years of persecution are vividly described in these next verses. So we have a shift in uh, Daniel 11 from pagan Rome to papal Rome. Um, And now we're looking at the papal power. So let's keep going. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. And here is where we get our final text from the book of Daniel concerning the abomination that causes desolation. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices. Sacrifices is an added word. That's why it's in italics. So literally, then they shall take away the daily and place the abomination of desolation. There's our phrase, right? We've been studying that. This is now the fourth time. So somehow there would be something that causes an abomination of desolation. Forces, or an army, the King James says, would be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortresses. Now, what does this mean? The text here uses the same words found in Daniel 8, 13 and 9, 27. Desolation. But this time, this desolation is papal Rome, and Clovis the Frank gives military might to the papacy. Clovis got married. We've talked about this on Sabbath. Clovis got married to Cahilda, who was a Catholic, a Burgundian, an Italian. And she said, you know, 
<laughs> We've got these people that are plaguing our church. Would, could we use your army? Could we borrow your army? Sure, he says, like any good husband would do. You can borrow my army. And Justinian finishes the job. Um, his general Belisarius completes it by plucking up three powers. Again, those three powers were Arian and Sabbatarian. And so during uh, this time period, there was an attack not only on the Sabbath, but also the truth of the sanctuary. Daniel 8, 12 says, They did all this and they cast truth to the ground and prospered. And so we have this time period that goes from the time that an army was given over, or they mustered an army till the end, being 508 to 1798. So let's continue on. How many of you are with me? Can you say that abomination that caused desolation? The papacy comes together with an army and it causes uh, a desolation of, of God's people and the dark ages. How many of you are following me so far? Okay, let's keep going. Now, what, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you and then I'll tell you and then maybe it'll make more sense as we're going along. Daniel 11, 30 through 36, or actually 30 through 39, they basically show that desolating time period of the papacy, okay? And then, they, then it goes in verse 40, it's all repeated in embryo, and everything that happened during the Dark Ages happens again right at the very end of time in verse 40 through 45. So that's what I'm going to show you. So in other words, and another way to look at this, which you might be more familiar with, is in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 10, you have a picture of the papacy. And then Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 18, you have a picture of a revival of the papacy along with America at the end of time. Okay? So what we're looking at right now is kind of the parallel to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 10. We're looking at the papacy. Okay, are you with me? All right, so let's look at this. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who knew their God throughout the Middle Ages, there were groups of faithful believers that did not bow to the flattery and the deviancy of Rome, pagan Rome, or rather papal Rome. The Huguenots from France, they were faithful. Many of them were killed or chased out of the country. As a, ma as a matter of fact, it's very interesting. Some of the top businessmen, even in this country today, trace their lineage back to the Huguenots. And I was reading about some of them and commenting, and they were saying, if you look around America today, it reminds us of the French Revolution. And of course, that's where they escaped from. And they're seeing that. The Waldensians in northern Italy were faithful. The Lollards earlier in England had been faithful. Um, they knew their God. The Hussites who followed Huss and Jerome were faithful. And the Anabaptists from which 
our heritage comes, the so-called, so-called radical reformation. And then, of course, the Lutherans as well were faithful. Daniel 11.33, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. So they, during this time period of the Dark Ages, many fell by the sword, by being burned at the stake, by captivity and plunder. There were millions of faithful followers of Christ during that time who were imprisoned, exiled, and tortured and killed by the Catholic Church for their faith during that time. And it went on just for some days, a reference to the fact that it would be cut short. The 1260 time period um, was all that was allowed. That sounds like a lot of time, but uh, in other words, there was a, it was for some days. Now, let's review these key points from these verses. Um, the abomination of desolation came as a result of military assistance being given to the papacy by the state. And that union is technically known, every time we've looked at it, as a union of church and state. There was a faithful remnant that was alive at this time. We just looked at them. There was an attack on the covenant, the law of God on the Sabbath, as well as those who believed it. And there was a time prophecy connected to the persecution that would go on for many days. Let's continue on. Daniel 11, verse 34. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. So uh, the true believers in the 1400s begin to receive a little help in their fight with heresy that was dominant at the time. The Bible was translated Wycliffe, Luther, and actually before that, the Waldensians translated the Bible. They were one of the first translations. And then the ministry of Martin Luther and John Huss and Jerome and William Tyndall, they translated the Bible. And there was the acceptance of Lutheranism by some princes in Europe that uh, they were the first ones called Protestants or protesting. And uh, they begin to protest against um, Charles V and Leo X, who wanted to do away with the reformers. And there were Muslim attacks also on Catholic Christianity that allowed the focus to be taken away from the reformers. They would be looking at, at the Muslim invaders. In fact, Suleiman or so-called Solomon, the Magnificent, actually sent money to Martin Luther and to the Reformers and was subsidizing the Reformation. So just remember that when you talk to someone of the Islamic faith, you probably wouldn't exist without their help. And they helped. And many times as I've studied with folks of a Muslim background, I've shown them that. They're very interested in these things. And it's a common point of interest to them. Daniel chapter 11, verse 34. Some will join with flattery or intrigue. Not all the people who joined the Protestant movement were true believers. Protestantism suffered and got involved in politics and even began to persecute 
those who taught anything contrary to their beliefs in the Bible. They might say, hey, you've got to come in. Well, um, and then people were not really true because of the coercion. And this happened um, up until the time of a miracle, actually. There is coercion both by the Catholics and the Protestants to get people to believe. And some of those of understanding, verse 35, shall fall to refine them, purify them, make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Well, some of the wives shall fall, arguing, continue between Catholics and Protestants, and too often wars were fought over the doctrines. For instance, the Thirty Years' War from 1618 to 1648 was a Catholic-Protestant war mainly, almost devastated Europe. It took 200 years for parts of Europe to recover. And um, there was an inquisition in Spain that killed many faithful believers. Many shall fall, be purified and made white. In other words, these people had to truly know what they believed and why they believed. During this desolating time period, they had to be faithful. Just like it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 of the Advent movement. Many would be purified and made white and refined, right? Um, but the wicked will do wickedly and uh, none but the wise shall understand. So this happened back there in Daniel 11 as well. To refine and cleanse until the time of the end. The Reformation continued to grow with God, adding more and more truth to the movement. Martin Luther taught the Bible, and the Bible only, only Jesus can save humanity by grace, or you save through faith. John Calvin, separation of church and state, and being involved in social ministry. John Wesley, personal godliness and devotion. He actually wrote uh, a book on anatomy and physiology. He actually vote, uh, wrote of the values of, value of vegetarianism. And uh, so did those before him, Columba and Columbanus, uh, also were vegetarians. Andreas Fischer and Oswald Glate added information about the Sabbath, as did Andreas Karlstadt. So they were being refined, they were being cleansed during this time of abomination. During the time of abomination, there was a bright spot, and that is the remnant was beginning to understand the message and refine it. Until God could create one movement that would include all the truths at the time of the end, Daniel 12, 10. Daniel eleven thirty six and 37. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt, magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither God, the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. This is the zenith of the papacy. He's exalting himself about everything else. And um, similar to the prophecy of Daniel 7, the Catholic Church from 538 to 1798 claimed to be the only true church of God on earth. Grandiose words, right? Provide salvation for only those who adhere to her teachings. Be God on earth as the Pope. Claim to have never erred. Claim to change the Sabbath um, and the law of God as a sign of its authority. This is the ultimate abomination, right? Like we've seen in all the other ones as well. 
So then what happens in Daniel 11.38? But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. So God of fortresses. Um, In other words, the papacy, that abomination that caused desolation, would use military force and would use fortresses and war implements of war and then would serve a, a God his father didn't know. Many see this as a prophecy that the Catholic Church would create a new God. They would begin worshiping Mary, the Blessed Virgin, the Mother of God, and would have all this gold and all these different things to worship. Have you ever seen images to Mary that are just opulent and they're all around the world? And it seems to be matching with this text. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Foreign god, um, another god, that Satan who would do miraculous signs and give power to the church in the Middle Ages. He shall magnify with honor and make rulers. Only the kings that were Catholic during the Middle Ages could prosper in their kingdoms. And people would not follow a king who was not in favor of the church because they were afraid at that time period. Now, so, that was pretty heavy. Wasn't that pretty heavy? All the different things. And it basically was just talking about what? The union of church and state that was corrupt that led to all those abominations, just to summarize. Okay? And then it also introduced the fact that that, just like in all our other... times we looked at this, the ultimate abomination was attacking God's law, which includes what? The Sabbath, right? So that's just a summary of what we just went through. Now, there's an interesting statement by Ellen White, who Seventh-day Adventists believe had a prophetic insight. And by the way, when she wrote about all these things. People just dismissed her. She wrote a book called The Great Controversy, and they dismissed it because at the time she wrote it, the Catholic Church was basically very weak and insipid. I mean, was recover- was, was, uh, Pope had never come out of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the Vatican and wouldn't do so until 1929. They had lost all their papal states. They looked very weak. And she wrote about all this stuff about how there would be a revival of the papacy and all kinds of things, people said, you are out to lunch. You are out to lunch. They're not saying it now. People are devouring her books and saying, wait a minute. This is someone who not only saw this happening, but saw it correctly. And this is what she has to say about this passage. Daniel eleven forty through 45. We have no time to lose. Troublous times are before us. The world is stirred with the spirit of war. Soon the scenes of trouble spoken of in the prophecies will take place. The prophecy in the 11th of Daniel has nearly reached its completion. She's writing this in 1900. Nearly reached its complete fulfillment. Much of the history that has taken place and fulfillment of this prophecy will be, what's it say? Repeated. And then she says, where? In the 30th verse, the power is spoken of that will be grieved in return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. So shall he do, he shall even return and have intelligence 
with them that forsake the whole the the covenant. And we saw that in the 30th verse that the papacy would arise after the fall of pagan Rome, papal Rome would arise. And then she quotes, after quoting verse 30, she quotes verse 31 through 36, which we just went through, showing all the abominations of the papacy. And she says what? All those things that happened would we repeat it again at the end of time. And then she talks about verse 40 through 45. So it's like she's saying, what just happened is going to happen again at the end of time. How many of you are following me? So now let's look at this. Because this abomination that causes desolation is, now we're looking, we're very close to what we call present truth, okay? In our own time period. So much of this papal history would be repeated. Military assistance, the prediction is, will be given to the papacy. A union of church and state will come between a state power and the papacy causing an abomination of desolation. A faithful remnant will be alive at this time. An attack will come on the law and on the Sabbath. And persecution will come to those who believe it. The papacy's actions, however, were limited. And so would the papacy's action or this power's action at the end be limited. And judgment would be made in favor of the saints. Okay, so now let's look at it in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, the technical word, time of the end, is 1798. That's when that prophecy from 538 to 1798 comes to an end. So in other words, in 1798, the king of the south, not mentioned since uh, early on in chapter 11, um, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So at the time of the end, sometime after 1798, the king of the south, which earlier on is known as the Ptolemies or Egypt, will attack the king of the north, which is the papal power, and come like a whirlwind in, with chariots and horsemen and many ships. This is military might, economic might. If you look at Revelation 18, ships are always talking about the you know, economy. So economic and military might. And he shall pass, he shall enter countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So let's break that down a little bit. Um, so at the time of the end, 1798, the king of the south, Egypt, atheistic France or communism. Now why are we saying that? Why don't we just say literal Egypt? Because Caesar and uh, Caesar Augustus came against Mark Antony and obliterated the Ptolemies. How many of you remember Cleopatra and Mark Antony and that big ba- the Battle of Actium? probably thinking about it all day, weren't you? I'd like to have a little actium. No, anyway, so the Battle of Actium, the Ptolemies were basically done, done away with, and Egypt you know, never recovered any uh, magnitude of might. And, uh, and then the other thing you have to keep in mind, after Christ comes on the scene in a prophecy, then after that happens, many times things are looked at through a spiritual lens when we're looking at prophecy. 
So Egypt actually is looked that way by John the Revelator. Let me show you that so you can see that I'm not just making this up. Look at Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and what? Egypt, where our Lord also was crucified. Was Jesus crucified in Sodom, literal Sodom or literal Egypt? No. But this is a spiritual situation where Christ is being persecuted at some time in the future, because John the Revelator is writing after Christ had already been then, been there. And it's actually talking about how Christ was done away with during the French Revolution. Okay, so atheism and atheistic France then gave birth to communism. Notice it says there in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, that the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. So atheistic France became kind of like a, it was like the bottomless pit where all kinds of things came out. Atheism, all these different things came from France. And then it says that he would push uh, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, would push against him. The king of the north, that is the papacy, would come against communism and push against it, is what it's saying. At some point, there would be this pushing by the papacy against communism like a whirlwind very quickly. So in the language, the the, the sign language of the scriptures, there would be a time period when the papacy would come against the atheistic powers that came out of France originally, but called communism, and this would happen like a whirlwind very quickly. And there would be chariots and horsemen and military power, in other words. And there would be finances involved as well. Now, did this ever happen? Was there ever a union of church and state power that went against communism? The downfall of communism came as a result of what was called a holy alliance between Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul II in June of 1982. I remember it well. It was very interesting. They committed themselves and the institutions of the church and America. So church and state came together. The U.S. resources, the equipment, the finances, the CIA intelligence, coupled with the Vatican-directed delivery system of priests, started to go against communism. Nobody believed that communism could collapse and, or that it would collapse rapidly. But they began to work together, and it was talked about in this magazine, the Holy Alliance back at that time. And... I could show you a, uh, a clip that talks about it, but I won't take the time to, to do that. So then what happens? He shall enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. So at some point then, the papacy shall enter the glorious land, Now, if you look at this, the glorious land literally in the book 
of uh, in, in scriptures, both in the Psalms and other places, always refers to what? Israel. And, uh, you know, it, you had the king of the north, the south, you had the glorious land, which was right next to the Mediterranean, and then you had coming from the west to the east. But remember now, we're looking at this through the lens of spiritual, are spiritualized, just like Egypt is now spiritual Egypt or atheism, so the glorious land is spiritual Israel, God's people worldwide. I would dare say something else. It's even more specific than that. Um, it's, uh, it's Christianity. It's, I, would, I would go so far as to say it's Protestantism worldwide. Because Protestantism, of course, is seen as, you know... Um, as, as true Christianity during that time period with the papacy. Now what happens here is you have the papacy enters the glorious land, but Edom, Moab, and Ammon, they escape, it says. Now Edom are Esau's descendants. Moab are the sons of Lot. Ammon are the sons of Lot. And these were originally Edom, Ammon, well they were they were God's people originally until they apostatized back in the literal time period. I had to remember this. But what you see here is they're going to escape. And uh, it appears as though these, these, the, they represent Bible Christians who will eventually escape um, when the papacy will enter the glorious land. But why will they escape? Look at where they were located geographically. They're all to the east of Palestine. You have Ammon there, uh, up there at the top right in the yellow. Then you have Moab in the green. And then you have Edom in the kind of, I don't know what you call that color, um, the color at the bottom. <laughs> so you have them all listed there. Now look with me in Isaiah chapter 11. And let's see how these people are talked about here. In Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Spirit of God shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge, um, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And the wolf shall also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf with the young lion. And the fatling together with the little child shall lead them. And a cow and a bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in, notice these words, 
All my what? Holy mountain. Now there's a holy mountain in Daniel 11 as well, 40 through 45. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, and there shall be a root as a banner or a sign, you might say, to the peoples. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So they're going to seek God and his resting place. And it's come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of people who are left from Assyria and Egypt and Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and the islands of the sea. And he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines to the west. Together they will plunder the people of the east, and they shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. So here's this a recovery of what? Edom, Moab, and Adam. And now they're in obedience. <laughs> and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt with his mighty wind. He will shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. And there will be a highway for the remnant of his people. Look at this. A fascinating prophecy. But now let's look at it. Why shall Edom, Adam, and Moab escape? Well, you have God's holy mountain pictured in our passage we just read, which is his sanctuary. You have his ensign or his banner or his resting place. So in other words, the Sabbath is the sign of rest. You have a second recovery that we read about in verse 11. So there's a reconversion and they are adopting the banner of God. The Sabbath is being accepted there's a reversal we saw there in verse 13 of animosities. And they shall obey. Edom, Moab, and Ammon shall obey the Sabbath message. And the Egyptian sea, that is atheistic communism, will ultimately fully be destroyed. Now, as we read this, it's interesting that some of this has already happened. Did the Soviet Union fall? Did communism receive a, a deadly wound? Is there still communism? Is there still North Korea? Is there still Cuba? Is there still China? Right? Um, <laughs> and ultimately, these also will fall. The Egyptian sea will fall. But we have seen now that there was a church-state union that came together, America and the papacy, to do in part of communism. How many of you have seen that in history yourself? And uh, the exciting thing here is that as this all plays out, some of these folks that have not been faithful as a type, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, will actually come back into the fold and even accept the Sabbath message if we're reading the... Uh, language, symbolic language of Daniel 11 correctly. Let's continue. 
and he shall stretch out his hand against the countries. And then the land of Egypt shall not escape. We just read that. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So we looked at Edom, Ammon, and Moab, but we now have Libya, Egypt, and Ethiopia pictured here. He shall stretch forth his hand, this is the papacy, over the land of Egypt, that is communism, and communism will not escape, it would fall. And we've seen that a large portion of it fell with the Soviet Union. And then the treasures of gold, the riches, and then Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia, all the countries of the king of the south um, would be harnessed. The papacy would harness the financial power of all nominal Christianity around the world as all the world we begin to wonder after the beast. Daniel 11:44. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. So the king of the north is in the south at this time, right? fighting with the south and he hears tidings he hears tidings from the east in other words he hears about this sabbath sealing message he hears what the edomites and edom and moab and ammon are responding to and he hears that message and we see this look at revelation chapter 11 or rather revelation chapter 13 revelation 13 shows this power who um, is uh, attempting to go against all God's laws. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So calling for not um, listening to the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He makes an image to the beast, verse 14. He has the name of the beast, verse 17, and verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their hand or a forehead, on the forehead of their hand, uh, their hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell, save he who has the mark or the name of the beast. So, and of course, it's verse 15, it says, if you would not worship the image of the beast, you would be killed. So you have this Sabbath message, commandment one, two, three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Let's look at those again so you get that. Causes all the world to worship the first beast, that's breaking commandment number one. Making an image to the beast, commandment two says, thou shalt not make it to any graven image. Uh, taking the name of the beast, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Receiving the mark of the beast, which would be which commandment? Fourth commandment. And so he sees that. He says, look, if you keep that Sabbath, then I'm going to kill you. And this church-state power comes together to tell people that they have to keep the Sabbath, the papal Sabbath, instead of the Bible Sabbath, or else they'll be killed. Sabbath message, the people don't give up on it. They start to proclaim the Sabbath more fully in a loud cry. 
And what does the attempt, uh, the, the papacy attempt to do? It goes forward with great fury, Daniel eleven forty four, to destroy, just like it did in Daniel chapter seven verse twenty five. It went to destroy the people that are keeping God's law and would attempt to change times and laws. So here you have church and state coming together, all kinds of abominations. And then what was the third thing? The ultimate abomination relating to what? The Sabbath again, just like we saw in all of our messages so far. How many of you are following this? Then what happens next? The dragon attacks the commandment keepers, Daniel, uh, Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed who uh, the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So they go forth with great fury to destroy but the power attending the message will only madden those who oppose it. The power attending the last warning has enraged the wicked. Their anger is kindled against all who have received the message and Satan will excite to still greater intensity the spirit of hatred and persecution. Remember what happened in the French Revolution? (laughs) Same kind of thing, same kind of power against God and his people happens again. And Daniel 11, 45 and 12, 1, he shall plant the tents of his palace This is the papacy between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Now, I believe, you know, the glorious land, we talked about it being Christianity, Protestant Christianity, the glorious holy mountain. How many of you have ever read about mountains in Scripture? The mountain always represents what? It's the sanctuary message, isn't it? Come, let us go to the mountain. When they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. They went to the base of the mountain where there was a burning bush. And then they went up, and they ate and drank bread together. And then Moses went up to make intercession and got the law at the top of the mountain. That's the exodus, but that's also the sanctuary. When you look at the sanctuary, it starts with what? (laughs) The lamb, when they left Egypt, going through the laver, that's the Red Sea, and then the lampstands right there in the sanctuary, and then eating and drinking with Moses on the mountain right there in the sanctuary, the next thing, and then Moses making intercession, and then the law of God. So the glorious holy mountain summarized, uh, the Exodus was summarizing that experience of going from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and God's people, the faithful people, are always where, ultimately? Are they at the base of the mountain, or are they on the top of the mountain? Are they on the base of the mountain or are they on the top of the mountain? Are they on the base of the mountain or are they on the top of the mountain? How many of you say the base? How many of you say the top? At the end of time, they're on the top of the mountain, the glorious holy mountain. So in Revelation 14, verse 1 and 2, you have the lamb on the top of the mountain and who's with him? The 144,000. And what are they doing? They're singing. They have victory over the beast. They have victory over his image. They have victory over his mark, it says in Revelation chapter 15. We're going to come back to this on Sabbath. We're going to have three messages on the Sabbath. Okay, We're going to come back to this, so we'll review it. But they're on the top of the mountain. So um, he shall plant his tents between 
The seas and the glorious holy mountain. So the papacy is going to be there. He'll come to his end and no one will help him. And at that time, Michael shall stand up. So look at this. The papacy shall set something up. The tabernacles of his palace, the command center, the church-state union will happen, will come together between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. The command center of the papacy versus God's faithful remnant. First of all, the glorious land, then all the countries of the world are coming against who? The faithful remnant, those pictured on the glorious holy mountain. And they're all coming against them because of what? Because of the Sabbath. Because they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Because they're so into Jesus that His law is written in their hearts and their minds. How many can see this final showdown? And this is what's, uh, you know, building up right now, actually. And then there's a time of trouble. This last battle. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. So all this is coming together. And in Daniel chapter 12, you have this time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And um, at that time, the papacy comes to his end, no one to help him as a result of who's standing up. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Remember how we saw in all of the things we studied. We have a church and state coming together. We have abominations come as a result of that. We have uh, the abomination ultimately of the Sabbath, which causes a desolation, right? And then we have a picture of hope. And we see this here again, right? It looks like the desolating power is going to end it all, but guess who stands up? Me, ka, el. Who, me, ka, is as El, God. And who is that? Jesus himself stands up. He stands up. At that time, Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Can you say hallelujah? So they're delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It ends with a picture of what? Hope. At that time, referring back to Daniel eleven forty to 45, the time of trouble, the last great conflict over the Sabbath, Michael shall stand up. Jesus will intervene. His people will be delivered. Everyone found written in the book. Uh, How many of you think that's an important phrase? All in every single abomination of desolation we looked at. The people that were delivered are the people that will be found written in the book. Can you have assurance today that your name is written in the book? Can you tonight have assurance, no matter what happens, that your name is written in the book? Look with me in Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Galatians, Philippians. 
So here we're talking, um, trying to find this in front of my eyes here. Um, yes, here it is. Therefore, my beloved, long for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. <laughs> so Paul says, I want you to stand fast. I implore Judea and I implore us to think nay, to be of the same mind in the Lord. <laughs> and I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labor with me in the gospel with Clement also. On the rest of my fellow workers whose names are what? In the book of life. Let me ask you a question. Can you have confidence that your name is in the book of life? And how does that happen? That happens if you say, hey, look, God, write your law in my heart and mind. Forgive me for my sins. I confess my sins to you. I ask you to cover those sins with your blood. I ask you to impart your righteousness to me. Impute your righteousness to me, but not only impute it, but also impart it. I want to not only know that you've covered my sins, but that you're in my life and that you're living in my life so that when the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet arises and it manifests itself with a law against God's Sabbath, I'll have confidence to stand. And I'll have confidence, assurance, knowing that my name is written in the book of life. Many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and there'll be the resurrection of the saints. So let's review. How many of you found this one somewhat fascinating? Has Daniel chapter 11, verse 42-45, actually goes... With Revelation chapter 11, or Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 18. So what did we look at? There was a union of church and state that would cause an abomination of desolation. At the end of time, America and that second and that first beast power, the papacy as well as apostate Protestantism and spiritualism all come together. There's an increasing list of abominations that come as a result of this union the crowning abomination is, of course, the mark of the beast relating to what? The Sabbath issue. And then there's a following resulting desolation and conflagration and time of trouble. And then what happens? Michael stands up and a faithful remnant come back. Edom, Moab, Ammon, <laughs> they return. They accept the Sabbath again. And they join together with a faithful remnant who's found written in the book of life. How many want to be in that book? How many want to, to have your name written there? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Amen? Now, this begs the question, because it's talking about the Sabbath, and that's what we're going to study over the weekend, okay? We're going to look now next, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, pray that your flight not be in winter or on the Sabbath. How do you remember that phrase? So it tells you that there's a, and it also says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then 
get out of town, go, those in Judea, go to the mountains. So when should we leave? Um, when should we leave the big cities? When should we leave the little cities? When should we escape? Uh, how do we look at those things? How many would like to study that? That's the next thing in Matthew chapter 24, and it's the next thing. And, and, in, and in the setting here, we see we need to know that, right? Because we know that the abomination of desolation, when it's set up, has to do with the Sabbath. So we're going to study that um, as we continue on in a little mini-series on the Sabbath over the weekend. So, I don't know. I'm tempted to have three more sermons on the Sabbath. I'm tempted to do that. But I'd probably only do two uh, because I have another thing I'm working with this week. But So, uh, Sabbath morning at 8 o'clock and... Sabbath morning at 11 o'clock, we'll study about the Sabbath. I cannot impress upon you how beautiful the Sabbath is, but how under attack it is. And we need to understand the Sabbath more fully to be able to proclaim it more fully. How many of you want to understand that as well? Because Jesus is coming again. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you tonight that we've been able to study this final picture of the abomination of desolation, which is in the future and yet is experienced partial fulfillment as we've seen the church and state power come together and accomplish things against the king of the south. And we also last week studied how even in our current setting, there is a nod being given to the papacy by our own high court. So we recognize that this abomination of desolation is being set up and uh, we want to be ready. We want to have the faith of Jesus. We want to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And so tonight we confess our sins. We ask you to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us, to come into our hearts. Write your law in our heart and mind, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.